You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. This is episode 81, and I am your host, Troy Goodfellow. And with me today is, for the moment, uh, one of my regular panelists, freelance writer Rob Zachney. Hello, everyone. And we are hoping to be joined later in the show uh, by Dr. Bruce Garrick. He is, of course, out there being busy and miraculous and saving people from the terrible things that happen in their heads. I do hope you can join us. I'm sure he has a lot to say. Um, this is an episode that has all of a sudden become highly anticipated, though, uh, and it was meant to be so when we first scheduled this over a month ago. I was like, hey, let's talk about Elemental. It's coming out. It's going to kick some ass. Uh, it's going to be a good game. And we have a chance to talk about it. So we set up the, t- the call with uh, the CEO of Stardock, Brad Wardell, uh, who is a friend of the show and has always been uh, very good for a quote or comment when I've needed one. And then Elemental took a turn, and the story took a turn. Uh, Brad, being the forthright guy he is, of course, would not say, I'm too busy uh, to do this, but instead he still wants to come on the show. So with us uh, from Stardock is the CEO, uh, Mr. Brad Wardell. Brad? Hi, it's good to be here again. And uh, from uh, Tinsley PR, uh, Stardock's uh, public relations maven, uh, and another former guest on the show, she's been on before, um, is Stephanie Shop. Stephanie, thanks for coming back. Thanks for joining <laughs> us again. <laughs> Absolutely no problem. Skype is not my friend today. So Brad, let's, I guess we begin at the beginning. Um, I mentioned that we're doing this show on the Jumping the Shark podcast, and then Games Politics said, hey, Brad Wardell is going to be in Three Moves Ahead. It's like, ah, stop, stop building up anticipation. But Elemental was one of the most anticipated strategy games of the year. Um, it's a new, Stardock's got a proven record in strategy game design. Uh, this is a new IP, uh, spiritual successor to Masters of Magic, and it comes out, and people are not just underwhelmed, but people are, in fact, angry about the game. Let's first start with what's going through your head uh, when you start hearing these reports that the game isn't being launched to your satisfaction. In other words, what, what are you thinking when Elemental comes out and Tom Chick says, holy crap? Yeah, my first thought, when I first started talking, to, now a lot of people don't know, but Tom Chick and I go back over 10 years. And so when he started writing me and saying, this this is really hard to understand, and this it's it's the user interface is re- it's not engaging me, so to speak. Uh, I started to become very concerned right away because it's of course I, I, that was when it was kind of a wake up call of, oh no, we've been we've been playing this for so long that we weren't we weren't playing it like how a new user would play it, and that that was that was the first thing that started, and then uh, Tom told me it was crashing on him. And now a lot of people don't realize this, but we sent this we sent this 1.0 version out to reviewers because we were very very excited about it. And those of yep. a lot of these guys, including you, are, are Facebook friends of mine. And so you know, on Facebook, I was basically just you know every day says, oh, I can send it out in one more day, you know, or you know yep. three more days, and I can send it out. Two more days, I can send it out. And so uh, we we're the, the first thing is we we're just we we're just absolutely shocked um, that. That there were people who found it, and then of course the infamous uh, Ben on quarter three said this plays like an early beta, and I said, well, you know what, you know it, this game is, this game's fine. It, you know if you if you really think that way, then you shouldn't buy our games. And of course, that's where it all went really went to hell. 
Now, as I was sitting, when you say that you know, the UI was fine, you didn't, you were playing this game for a long time. You didn't realize this is this is the story you've been telling. And I'm not going to say you're lying because I'm sure you're not. But you just fell in love with this game. You were playing it for a long time. The development team knew it too well, and got blinded to the failings. So that's the argument well, you've been. Well, the the big thing is is that. Most of our games are 18-month projects. If you look yeah. at, say, Galactic Civilizations or, and in fact, or Political Machine, even, that was only a six-month project. We didn't mm-hmm. play it for, um, you know, that we make the game and we play it. And so people, it, it, we don't play it long enough to where we get used to its idiosyncrasies. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Elemental, we had had it for so long and been playing it for so many years, so to speak, internally, that... It's in various idiosyncrasies had just become second nature. Like right. it's sort of like those people who go, "What do you mean you don't know how to print in WordPerfect? It's Shift F seven, duh." And <laughs> that's kind of the, that was the, when I said, what, what, you, "What do you mean you don't know?" Our, like in your review, how do you how do you you don't know how to marry an NPC? You just click on their actions tab and click you know the the ring icon. Yeah, I, I had to ask Tom that. Right. I had to email Tom and ask him, "How do I marry somebody?" Right, and so we, in our minds, we had this really elegant system of, look, there's a tab, and it says actions, and you click on the actions, and there's all the possible actions on it. And it, on paper, it certainly seemed very elegant. You know, we had, and oh, everything and, was and icons, it, right? So it's like right. there's, no, there's no words. There's no text on there. It's all icons. And you know, then you look back at, say, a, a Master of Magic, and you realize, you know, Master of Magic didn't have icons. He just said in words. And what, what I should have said is when you clicked on your NPC, it should have just said propose marriage. And it never occurred to you that if you met the, f- the first five times you click the action tabs, they're all male characters, so all the actions are the same. Then you finally find a female character for your male sovereign that the tab wouldn't be there. Like, Why would I go into the action tab? if the, Since all the other actions are exactly the same, why do I expect a ring and a female one? Right. Well, that's, that's the problem is that we assume that you clearly – Poorly, that <laughs> users would always click on the actions to see, oh, well, what new action is available for this this right. unit? Right. Whereas, you know, where that was where it really went down, of course. But that wasn't that in my mind isn't what wrecked Elemental's launch no. because even without that, right. the thing that really killed us was the the crashes, the 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 out of like you were didn't you say you ran out of you're running? There's people on our forums. Who say they run out of memory in the game after playing for just a hundred turns? Yeah, I mean, hundred. I've I had I can't remember the last time I had a game crash saying I had to run out of memory. Right, and, like, and so off. exactly, and like, how is that possible? How can that happen? And we play it and play, it and we have all these internal simulators, and it's like, well, how about if I created ten thousand units? What run out of memory? All these different things. And you know, what we're discovering over time, and there's, and this, this goes to a different issue, is that it's weird things like um, Elemental has uh, this stylized art to make it look illustrated. So there's um, this outline. If you look at units or mountains mm-hmm. or cities, there's an outline that makes it look more, more, a little bit more like a, a drawing rather than a typical game. And it's turning, it's becoming increasingly apparent as the, since release. That there are simply machines that just won't work. That won't work with. They right. will either it'll just crash randomly because the line is you know on a, something small. If they zoom out just right, it'll 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 crash on their system, or um, it'll cause their memory to go crazy, and all kinds of other right. things like that. And 
you know, we'd had that outline in there for for a long, 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 long time, and it, you know, unfortunately, we and, that, and that's I don't want to make it say, oh, look, it's just one thing and we just pop it. Right. There's plenty. Uh, I, I've been t- as I've said to other people, I've actually pointed them to your review and and Tom's review is if you want to know the issues as Stardock sees them, read Tom and Troy's reviews, and you can see. I may not necessarily agree with. Um, the rating on on some of these reviews, mm-hmm. but I agree with the text. Yeah, I mean, th- without the technical problems, are you happy with Elemental State? Because I remember, because no, no, because I, I, I point to, I mean, because you wrote this blog post back in the end of July, referring to our beta, where you say, you know, the UI makes you cry, the goody huts are boring, the spells are boring, tactical combat is boring, the spells are all the same and boring. Right, and you it, say these these are the things that are going to be fixed by release, and we did. And, ironically, if you played Beta Four, well, so, no, so let me give it's, you even, it's even better than then. Oh, have you ever looked at the screenshots from Beta Four? I have not. Uh, the screenshots, yes, yes. Okay, so just let let's start uh, with with uh, for example the the spells. All right, in Beta Four, the spells were all like Fireball, bigger Fireball, Ice right. Ball, and there there were. There were no, there was no, there in the game. There were no special abilities at all. Huh? Okay. Though there, there was. So there. I, I tend to, I tend to avoid betas whenever possible. So, um, in terms of the user interface at all, the empire, the empire tree on the left allows you to manage your cities and units and all that, and you can expand out and do stuff and select things. That wasn't in beta four. We added that. That was one of our things in there. That was inspired by Sins of the Solar Empire. Exactly. Uh, the the main UI itself. In beta four, you could not. There were we didn't. If you wanted to get to your special actions, there was that action bar that you see on the left side, right. where, where it has like what's in your inventory and stuff. That wasn't there. On the right side, if you wanted to cast a spell, you had to click on the actions tab. If you okay. wanted to equip your unit, you had to click on the actions tab. And mind you, because there were so many actions, you then had to click on a little tiny arrow and go bu- 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 through a bunch of stuff. The tactical battles, all the in Beta Four, did not have, did not make use of terrain. There were no units with special abilities, right. so there was no spiders that you know cast webs or anything like that. Um, so this, so what you're saying is, it, it was, it was Beta Four was even worse. At the end of July, oh, not just just a little bit. It was, it was a lot worse. It was a lot worse. And so I went through, I identified, we, I'd gone through the forms and said, these are the things the beta testers are talking about. Um, a, fr- a mutual friend of ours, Matt, Mark Asher, on quarter three, listed yep. uh, a number of things about the spells and went, ah, I understand. I think I get it. You know, like the yep. spell. And so on the spells, we, you know, we gave them, we renamed them, we went through and um, did heavy duty surgery on the, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, the, you know, heavy duty surgery on, Oh, I'm trying to remember the the way some of the spells worked, the mm-hmm. technology trees, how improvements worked, um, and things like that. And so then, by the begin by beginning of August, as we were nearing gold, we're playing. So you know what? This is much better. And keep in mind, you know, as you know, Starrock has uh, co- you know, former reviewers on staff, so yep. we were feeling pretty confident that okay, we we did a, we listened to the beta testers, we put in what they we changed the stuff, um, and then. Let's make sure the game's really solid because we have this Gamers Bill of Rights. So let's make sure the game's you know rock solid before we put it out, and and spent the rest of August just polishing, 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 polishing. Now, Bob, did, now did you do another round of beta? We didn't do a public beta. We have a we had a pri- we have a private beta group. This is what and this is what we've always done on all of our games. You know, from years and years ago, is that the last beta. 
does not go out to the public. And the idea is, is that you don't want to spoil the game for your beta testers. For the public, the people who pre-order to be right. part of the public beta, that if it's too close to the final version, they're going to get it, and it's going to be this almost final version, and then they're going to be it's going to be kind of ruined for them. So the idea is that okay, you get it to a state where you think that that you, you you've taken down all the feedback, you put in the feedback, and then you make sure it's stable, and then you hand it to your private beta groups, and then go forward from there, and then once everyone's happy, you you put it out. Yeah, you put it. You send to manufacturing and send it out. So, um, want to go back to the whole the whole uh, beta testing. Beta public betas are really popular. A lot of studios use them. Well, yeah, but they use I mean, them as demos more yeah, than. Yeah, well, I mean, but, but, but Blizzard uh, used public betas for the multiplayer of StarCraft to you know help get the balancing undergoing. And it's a huge public beta. Uh, it works very well. Uh, other and companies then, and, and then, betas. Right. I mean, so, Blizzard so, so, there, there, beta though. Yeah. At the you know, f- just and had there went to private betas at the end, just like we. Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not saying that there's. I'm not saying you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I'm just saying a lot of companies use public betas and they get a lot of feedback from them. Uh, at no point in the towards the end of the beta did people say there are actually some design issues here. They, I know people look at betas as this magic bullet and don't understand that once the beta gets involved, a lot of things are locked in. That you know you really can't go around and change some really basic design issues with the game once the, you're in the beta process. Is that what the beta process is for? But did anybody in the beta say, look, there's why aren't the dynasties really kicking in here? Well, there uh, were plenty of, I mean, the forums are always on every beta full of users who want this or that feature or yeah. think something should be totally different. There, I mean, yeah. and I don't mean a little bit different. I mean massively different. And so we, we looked at those, and like I said, the big things that came to came to a head for us where, okay, make the user interface better, make the magic system more interesting, and right. make and, and so on and so on. But to me, with the post-release, what I've come to the conclusion is that the, it's, the issues with the game mechanics themselves mm-hmm. were far deeper than... Uh, let me give you an example. In Elemental, the, your... Every spellcaster has their own mana cap based on their essence. And that, mm-hmm. on paper, seemed like a good idea because that's how you might... If you were just a... If we were playing D&D together or in our regular RPG, your mana would be your guy. And so it's kind of modeled after that. But by that one decision, though, had all kinds of catastrophic issues throughout the, the game design. So, for example, I could have five... Uh, I could by giving a little essence to a bunch of my own spell, creating a bunch of spellcasters, these guys could summon hum- huge armies of monsters on their own mm-hmm. and just overwhelm the, the computer player, which is not playing the game in that way. And so all of a sudden you go, well, I can just cream the AI just by having a couple spellcasters bring in some, summon a bunch of fire giants and just run them over. So the issue with making the spell system more interesting really goes, in my mind, a lot deeper than, oh, well, the spells need to be more fun in tactical battles, but rather mm-hmm. how the system actually functions as a game mechanic. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it makes sense to me, Rob. Yeah. Um, I guess something I'm, I'm, I'm curious about, because you've um, you said that one of the issues is you guys have been playing this game for a long time. Um, can you take us through the timeline a little bit? Um, you know, how long 
How long have you guys been playing builds of this game? And as designers, how much how much time were you putting in on your uh, putting in on your versions? Well, in my case, the you know, the team itself had been working out for three years since uh, since the end of Galactic Civilizations two back in two thousand six. People started working on. Uh, well, there was the Society engine, which became the Elemental engine once Society got put on hold. And so there are people who were on this project for three years. So I myself did not get to join in heavily on the game development until this past spring because, one, I have, you know, Stark's got a lot of different projects going on. I was had been working on Demigod and there was since Diplomacy and, and, of course, our enterprise business. And so when I came in in the spring, you know the the game was like okay we're you know we got we got a lot of raw material here the the uh, editors are looking really good and we have this really you know fantastic modding system being put together and the engine was really looking good um, but we you know, clearly it still had a, a ways to go so the, you know some people worked on it for three years and then some other people didn't work on it. For, more, for you know, some people only worked on it for a few months. Right. Um, so this was this was this past spring though that uh, you came on the project full time. I was probably this past. I would say March is when I really started to get into it. Okay. So I mean, how were you how were you overseeing development before then? Like, what was your role when you weren't working on it like every day? Um, my role is just general overall overview. My our. I was the, you know, I don't know if you know on the movie terms, but I'm the executive producer on the game. So my producer took care of all the day-to-day running of the of the game. Right. Yeah. So I mean, the one thing I'm curious, the one thing that I find a little a little baffling, I guess, is that I mean, a lot of those problems you said you you corrected in July. You took stock of where the project was, and you realized there are a number of things you wanted to address, and you did a major overhaul. This was in July. Right, but it turned out the overhaul was a superficial overhaul, and that is the basic problem, is that we read the feedback from users as being, the game's fine, but it needs these these superficial, these kind of changes. The the text, you know, the, the spells are uninteresting. The user interface needs to be simpler. And when you're doing a game, if you look, it's easy to forget that a computer game is ultimately a software product, and that the actual game part is... Like think of it as a big pyramid, and the yeah. game itself, the actual game rules, are only the top 10, 15 percent of the development budget. The rest of it is the you know the assets and the engine and all the other stuff. So making changes, like as an example, in Elemental version 1.1, we're moving to a global uh, a global mana pool, which is way easier for us to balance and makes. Me it makes it way easier for the AI mm-hmm. to be competitive, and it's just much more interesting to the player because now if I'm summoning a creature, I can have a mana maintenance cost, so to speak. But there's a mana cost to maintaining these summoned creatures, and I get my mana from capturing these shards, which makes the shards a lot more compelling and obvious why they're there. Right. And by and so on, it's like, oh my god, that is a major change to the game, and it's certainly from a game mechanics point of view, it is a major change. But it's it's 16 engineering hours, right? Um, I want to get into something that's really a big issue for me, and this is not just for Rob too, because we've talked about it so many times on the show, and that is documentation. Ugh. And this is a game that I had a I got an email from a reader 
who said, look, with getting Brad on the show, here's something you got to ask him. Ask him about this uh, metal, Eternium. or el- Elementium. Elementium. So it keeps seeing all these units in the Elementium, and he goes into the, there's nothing but Elementium in the manual, nothing but Elementium in the Civilopedia, or Hergomenomenon, or Monomon, or whatever I, I, it, it took me a long time. It's Hergemenon. Hergemenon. Uh, and... So, so he had to like figure out where do you find this metal, and then he had to, then eventually I think it was in the forums. And I was, oh, you stumble across it on quests, and right. he said, how the hell am I supposed to know that? All these great units I can't use and like find the right quest. I mean, so the, that's a that's a I mean, documentation and I mean, interface is one thing, but just basic documentation. This is a very big game, and documentation right. takes time. So how what's the next step? In that phase, well, is there another step in that phase? Well, there's a there's a couple things. First of all, any sort of documentation that is in the game is going to ultimately have to be XML driven because otherwise we're we get frozen to a particular set of things. So, for example, Elementium, it's not my issue isn't so much that it's not in the written you know the the uh, written manual as right. much as when I click on Elementium. The Elementium resource should have taken you a here, Geminon, say, and say, Elementium is a resource that you, you know, that is so right. rare that you're only likely to find it on quests. Right. And that's the sort of thing that we have to go top to bottom on. Uh, but in addition to that, the one of the things that we're going to be adding to 1.1 is a tutorial using, you know, so. Uh, the, originally, the the campaign was supposed to be kind of a tutorial, but the campaign plays so differently than the sandbox mode that's a very ineffective tutorial. And that was right. one of the things we discovered, probably within forty eight hours of release. That okay, so this- no, that forty hours of release, no one thought, hey, maybe there should be maybe the campaign if it's going to be tutorial should teach about the game. Ah, uh, well, we thought it did teach about the game, mind you. To us, it's all the game's obvious. It's intuitive. Oh, sure. Obvious. So you have to when you're working off that premise, then you go well. Of course, you know all you have to do is click on this and this, you know, and then this stuff shows up. Um, so what we're adding to 1.1 is a is a more blatant tutorial. Now click on near this to build your city, and and not to mention uh, just kind of a, a major UI pass to um, like the action tab is just going to go away, and we're going to actually have the actions will be. Te- have text right on the button and it'll say mm-hmm. like you click on your female your female NPC there will only be like three buttons and one of them with the first button will say propose marriage <laughs> it'll be there's no hidden tab um, and that kind of you know that's the kind of thing we're looking at that's where we are now I want to turn this over to Stephanie because I'm sure she has a very unique perspective on this uh, so Stephanie you're doing this and you've you know you're making sure that I'm getting uh my review builds, everything shows up, and you're talking to me and Tom and all this. And then the news starts coming back that this is not just a game that's not going to be the game of the year. This isn't not. This isn't going to be up there. This isn't fighting with StarCraft Two and Civ Four. This is the kind of launch that PR people really dread because it's a. Does there are design issues that yeah, you know yeah. Brad has admitted to, and there are serious technical issues, and there are people demanding refunds. And there are limits to how well you can do that when you have an open beta and, you know, you've played for three months of game design, of gameplay time. How would you handle all that refund issues? So as a PR person, all this stuff's coming in. What is it like being in the bunker? <laughs> it's awesome. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the, the first thing that, that I think people need to understand is, you know, from, from a, a strict media relations angle, 
when I first, when we first shipped the the review copies out to sort of the first the first wave of reviewers, and these incidents started coming in. I mean, you know, on my end, having been in the beta and having kind of gotten used to the game, I and had very little trouble um, during that time. I uh, I just took them as you know. As, as did the team, that these were some isolated incidents from, from a few reviewers on, you know, whichever right. machine they may be playing. So it's, you know, it, it's just a matter of addressing these one by one, and then eventually, uh, as the week wore on, it, it really started to become clear. And I think that this is true from my perspective, as well as, you know, Brad and, and the rest of the team, that there were a lot more issues than we, we first realized. So it did strike none of you as remarkable that none of that some of these technical issues popped up after release and not during the testing. Uh, absolutely, um, and and I think that Brad will agree with me there. Um, it was, you know, especially Cause, because you're, you're, not, you're not denying these are real things. I mean, these are no, legitimate. these are real. These are I I, and in fact, even if I scour the forums enough, I can find a user. I found a user after release because I was like, what is the deal with this white? Tactical battle thing that that, that Tom right. Francis from PC Gamer. What the hell is he talking? Right. You know, what is he talking about? I, you know, I I had never seen this, and I'm sure enough, if you went through the forums enough, you could find a user, you know, some users who actually had had that, and that was the thing that was just like, oh god, how did we even? Not, how did we not see that? Right, right. Well, and it turned out to be well. And it turned out like in the you know it's an ongoing battle because you have. Um, you know, if you if you're running the the I mean that white that white uh, battle thing is like well if you're running the January 2010 Nvidia drivers on a 908800 GT you that could happen if you were playing on such and such map with such and such resolution and it's like oh god you know the, uh, that's that's when that was just became scary for at least for me I don't want to speak for Steph yeah at, at that point I. I had to have, uh, you know, there was there was a lot of internal discussion on on my end, you know, with the team as far as you know, okay, guys, let's sit down and, and be real. What the hell is going on? Because it's it's not something that, um, and this is this is especially true with Stardock, but an issue like this is not something that, uh, you know, a PR person or a developer or the CEO of a company can just put their heads in the sand about and just wait. Away. That's not the way we've we've ever approached our public relations at Stardock. Um, Brad's always been very vocal and active on forums. Um, maybe a little too much so. Uh, if, <laughs> I, if I had a, an opinion about it, um, not that I have an opinion about it, but um, it's it's uh, so you know I needed as much as much information as possible. What other issues? What other major issues were starting to come up? Because you know, from a strict media relations standpoint, if I don't have answers for my reviewers, um, and I don't mean answers as in, you know, what reviewers would typically get from, you know, your standard PR answer, but I mean detailed, no BS answers right. for them, it's, it's just going to be worse in the long run. We're not, we're not a company that can put out um, a shitty game and then just say, oh, well, that one sucked, let's move on to the next 20 games we're rolling out. It doesn't work, it doesn't work for us. Um, we, you know, Stardock has, has always cared very deeply about every single project that it that it has done, and when something 
really just goes wrong on, on so many levels. It's something that we need to move quickly with as much accurate information as possible to address um, utilizing the media as our sort of um, blow, you know, our, our uh, you know, megaphone so that we can reach as many fans as, as possible. Um, that combined with a great community uh, relationship standpoint uh, with Spencer is, um, is, you know, that was that's pretty much what we've got. It, it's just a straightforward, it, it was a straightforward uh, conversation that we were having at that point um, during launch week and mm -hmm. It just, um, it just, it just seemed to. The issues just seemed to keep rolling in. So it was. I mean, when you when you say in the trenches, I mean that's exactly what it felt like, uh, and still feels like. You know, two 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 weeks out plus three days or so since launch. So what's the next step here? I mean, for one thing, I mean Stardock, as I said in the Jumping the Shark podcast earlier this week, is you know Stardock and Brad, you too, you've had this reputation in the PC community as one of the good guys. Uh, people may think you're, you know, abrasive and you're loud and you're all these things, but you know, you're the Gamers Bill of Rights and you're someone who's always been for openness and modding and championing the mid-range strategy game. You gave Sins of a Solar Empire one of the best strategy games of the last 10 years, a big push, and became a huge hit for you, well-earned, well-deserved. Uh, and this comes out and, you know, Stardock takes a bit of a punch in the gut. Uh, so where is your community in here, and where do you think Stardock's position is uh, with the PC strategy community? Because this isn't just a black eye. This is, you know, this is the guy who's on our side. He's championing us. No more bad games. No more games that crash on you. You get a bad game, you deserve a full refund. All this great stuff. Yeah, Brad's talking our language. And the game comes out, and it's like, what the hell? Right. Uh, so what, do you, what does Stardock do? To say first, not to because you'll never you'll never get to that level again. Maybe not because people say, "Oh well, fool me once." But what do you do to you know not make not just make people whole, but put Stardock bear back where you want Stardock to be? Because I don't believe this stuff was all just lip service from I me. Mean, this wasn't all just PR. You honestly believe this stuff? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of people don't realize this, but I I got into making PC games back in the '90s because I mean I was. One of those people back then, before the age of the web, we had it was Usenet, and I was one of those guys, you know, one of you know, one of those guys on Usenet saying, "Well, da 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 da," and I bought Teach Yourself C in 21 days and started programming my own stuff, and so I'm very passionate about it. Now, the, the thing is, is I guess you have there's going to be two groups of people in this. There's the group of people who think that we did this maliciously, right? Uh, that that Stardock came out with the game and that we knew. That this game was not ready for release. That we were just a bunch of we're crooks. We were we're scum basically. And then you have the group of people that go and say, "I'm going to take them at their word." And so for the former group, I don't think there's anything we can do to win them back because if if anyone out there thinks that a company would want to go put themselves through this hell, right? I mean, you people have no idea. What, what, how much of a personal toll this takes, not just on me, but on our team that worked three years. I have people who, I mean, just speaking for myself, I worked on, you know, this game a great, you know, since I joined on, I, I, back in the spring, for many, 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 many hours a week. You know, I mean, think 
you know, 90 to 100 and some hours a week. That was my spring and summer. And I usually work 70 hours anyways, but on star, other Stardock stuff. But there's mm-hmm. other people on the team who are working on this game. And they didn't have to work crazy hours, but they chose to work crazy hours because they were so into it. And so why would anyone ever want to put that out? Especially since the thing to remember, and people... If people want to decide that Stardock or Brad Wardell is a crook or or a terrible guy or whatever, you know, th- there's nothing I can do for them. But I can say we had we could have released this in February, if right up until the end of uh, July, we had that option. It's that we we simply thought the game was done. When I took it around on beta, you know, I, uh, you know took beta four around on my media tour, and I did these extensive tours. It's not mm-hmm. like the game, and I would take it on a ThinkPad. I mean, and uh, I mean, I know that the guys at all the, the in the media who we visit with can attest the game never crashed. The game had high frame rate. The game played perfectly for hour-long demos. Right. And so we, you know, and that, like I said, I, I intentionally don't bring in Alienware or something with me. I bring right. older laptops because it's like, look how, look at this. I'm getting, you know, I pop up fraps. And say, look at this! I'm getting 45 frames a second on this three-year-old ThinkPad, and so, so that the group that thinks that we we did this maliciously, there's nothing we can do. The the people we have to focus on are the people who, just who either a like the game, which there is a lot of people who do like the game, and or b just realize we screwed up. I mean, people were not perfect. We screwed up, and we will do everything we can to make people whole. The Gamer's Bill of Rights, a lot of people keep pointing this out, and they forget what item number one on the Gamer's Bill of Rights is. If a game does not technically work for you due to a technical defect, as determined by the customer, they have a right to a full refund. And we've been doing that, and that's how we always operate. And some people I've seen on the forums can't – they don't realize that that's not the norm in our industry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you buy a game, you own it. doesn't matter if it caused your computer to catch on fire. Yeah. Can can I ask um, how many people have exercised that option with regard to uh, Elemental? Um, I would say it's. I mean, for us, it's it's a large number. I mean, it's hundreds of people. Um, as a percent, it's pretty tiny. Okay. Um, I mean, I think every single person who has ever gotten a refund, I swear, they, I think they post on quarter to three. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's that's become the, the place to be uh, for. Uh, Right. Discussing the game, um, I mean, this is—it's kind of coincidental. I mean, we talked about with this happening a couple, last week. I spoke to uh, Muzzy Lane, who did uh, Making History Two, which was another disastrous launch. A game that came out, and as Rob's review at Game Shark can attest, it's a bad game with technical problems and UI issues. And they were, you know, kind of—they had good retail reasons for releasing the game early. Said, look, we have to get out because we, on the Walmart shelves, uh, we thought it was done. All of our market research said this is a retail-heavy game, so we have to get get it out there. Uh, because Making History 1 was 70% retail store shelves. So we have that real estate space. We're constrained. We can't fix the UI yet. It's good enough. They get it out there. It's How bad is it, Rob? Um, well, it's it's pretty bad, but uh, there's one distinction I want to make there, though. Yep. Um, I, I would argue that Making History 2 had serious problems with just the way it was designed, the way it was conceived. Yep, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm, 
I don't. I just don't want. I don't want technical, you know, issues to overshadow what was wrong with that game. I think. No, no. I think Elemental is a much better game um, than Making History Two was. They had, right. they had similar launch problems, but I think one is one was compounding what was already kind of a broken concept, whereas the other was just, um, you know, a right. bad launch for an otherwise but good game. The, the, the point I want to get onto is then they say, well, they, then the numbers come in and they realize the. The years have moved on, and the time has flipped. Now, eighty percent of their sales are digital. See, that's so not that's that retail, weird because most so of that retail sales come so from that retail. retail window. So that retail window didn't work for them. For Elemental, it's still mostly a retail game because yeah, it's still mostly retail. But see, now a lot of people don't realize that retail works in quarters. Yep. And so we could release the game in August or in February. Right. Now, internally to Stardock, we had the option. A lot of people, I, I saw something like, oh, they, they did that because of Civilization V. It's like, you know, and no one in the media should make that claim because that would be disgusting sure. because our day, August 24th, was picked out before Civ V had even, I mean, it was a known date before Civ V was even announced. Yep. So. Uh, that was the date, and so you know, one of the things I've been doing since uh, for the past, well, you know, especially today, is I interviewed every group involved to find out how in the hell did this happen? Because, th- and this is the part that kill. That remember, I mean, people don't understand. I mean, I'm getting emails from people who tell me I should kill myself. I have got multiple emails. That's how upset <laughs> people have been about this launch. And so, and you can, it, it's you know, I get phone calls. You know, my wife, you know, and I have wife and kids, and I. Unfortunately, my in the age of the internet, you can find out where people live. I've gotten some horrible phone calls at at my house hmm. about this. So if I had the option, you know, it, so the, with that in mind, understand that it kills me to know that we had the option to release this in February if we didn't think the game was done. So, you know, I've been interviewing our guys. Like, all right, who here did not think the game was ready? And the development team thought it's fine. It was it was ready to go. There were other people. There, 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 there were no dissenters on the development team who said, you know what? Uh, the development team itself, but they also said that they weren't playing the game. They were, they were just coding. And okay. So it, there were basically, we had three groups. We had the group that basically said, well, it was, it was working fine internally. You have the QA team that said the game was fine. Uh, you know, they don't. So you have the development team who's working on it, and you know, it's, it's work. Obviously, it works on their machine. Uh, sure. You have the QA team who they don't evaluate gameplay. Nope. And so they go, it's not, it's not buggy. And then I have the publishing group. It's not buggy. No, right. It's not buggy. It's ready to go. <laughs> And then you have well. Bear in mind, I know I know about yeah. your experiences. But right. Remember, there are lots and lots of people who absolutely who have, who have no me, problems at all. Right. Yeah. Who? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, every time someone trashes the game for instability, there's plenty of people coming saying it's never crashed on me. Right. Right. Um, I mean, there are. And mind you, with 1.07, there are still people out there who run out of memory. You know. So I mean, and obviously, me saying this on a, on this podcast is not going to help sales, but right. it's not. You know, it's not a common occurrence. Now, if you're shipping something that sells 80,000 copies and 30% of those users run into problems, that is thousands and thousands of people who are having problems. See, yeah. in, in, in QA, anything over a couple percent is a disaster. So if you can imagine 30% is like a nightmare beyond all compare. Um, and then you have the third group, which are people who – and. Troy, you and me and, and, and Tom and, and Robin and all that, we're very passionate about games. But you have to realize is that there's also people who 
you know, it's just software. And they don't, they're, you know, because I said, is there anyone here who thought we should have released it later? Why, you know, if anyone thought we could have just pushed it to February. And there was a large group of people who said, look, I, August was the date. We never occurred to them that they that, that we might change the date because this is, you know, it's just work. It's just, it's, now I'm not talking about beyond the development team, just other parts of Stardock. And, and it's, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just trying to make people, try to remind right. people that at the end of the day, at Stardock, and this is something we're going to have to reevaluate in terms of prioritization, Elemental is like one of a dozen projects going on at once. Mm-hmm. And so, not game projects, but overall projects. I mean, we got right. stuff with Dell and HP and you know the consumer software and on and on and on. And so, it just the, the date of release was never even a question for them. Hang on, is QA a shared resource between the games division and the enterprise division? It, it is. Okay. And, and that is what was I. What I am concluding was is Achilles' heel because when we test stuff for on the enterprise, we're testing. They have a very a much stricter hardware compatibility matrix than what you'd get in on a consumer you know on a retail consumer product. So, like uh, for example, uh, every time a Dell ships, it comes, there's Stardock software on it, and you you buy any Dell. And so we have, you know, every Dell configuration known to man that we te- can test on. But that's we know that those configurations, even though it's a seemingly large matrix, compared to the overall ecosystem, it's tiny. Right. Especially for g- game machines, which run the gamut. Well, let me give you an example of something that came up today. So all right, so so September seventh, ATI releases a new driver today that on some machines causes the mouse cursor to disappear. All right, so that's the kind of stuff that we're having to battle with. It's like, why is the mouse cursor disappearing on the, on the September 6th ATI drivers on such and such card, but not on this other card? Mm-hmm. Or you know, not on this other ATI of the same hardware with the same driver date. That's the kind of stuff that is really causing us to is been really the scariest part of this whole thing. So what's the next step for Elemental? Elemental's come out and you've already uh, made some tough choices within the company and but you've already committed also to devoting a lot of resources. You're gonna be supporting this game for the next couple of years and you've already said, look, we're gonna make if you don't want a refund, we'll at least make you whole. We'll give you the elemental we promised either sooner or for free or whatever. Uh, this is not just damage control. This is keeping a good IP viable because you believe in elemental. You want a book about elemental. This isn't something that's... Right. Uh, it's not passing. fly by night, that's for sure. Yes, this is something that you know is important to you. So what do you, what's the next step? I mean, how do you break, make, how do you make their users feel like they've been well served by you after this debacle? Well, the f- the first thing that you do, or we and what we're doing is that now typically in the game industry, when you develop a game, you then the the studio, the development team goes on to their next project, mm-hmm. and then a maintenance team is left on to release patches, and then eventually work on expansion packs. In Elemental's case, what we're going to do is we're literally going to keep the full development team working just on Elemental. So rather than the team going off and working on a new game, they're going to work on elemental as if it was it's you know a we're a way to look at it is it's as if we're developing elemental sequel but instead of charging for it we're just going to give it away 
Um, now, obviously, there is a cost to that, and that is these Elemental's revenue was ex- expected. We have Elemental's revenue is, been, is good enough to pay for Elemental, you know, our, our games team, mm-hmm. but it isn't enough to pay for uh, the second games team, which was you know, we were doing pre-production on an RPG project that, unfortunately, you know, we've had to start cutting staff on, which is a huge bummer. Um, Though contrary to what people are saying, that doesn't mean Stark's about to go out of business. It's, I mean, it sucks for us, but it's, you know, there's been a lot of melodrama about it. Uh, so effectively, the elemental that people are going to see in the next six months is going to be very different, and it's not going to take six months. I mean, I'm saying, as we do these releases, the game itself is going to dramatically change in terms of, you know, how it how it goes because at this point. We have a full pipeline in terms of – I don't want to use two games. You guys know what a pipeline is, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, on, on all tracks where we can, re- we can do lots of cool stuff relatively quickly because the, we're at our – we're in the full pipeline now. And have been you know, for several months. But like I said, normally you get to that level and you, then you go off to another project. And, and Troy, I just want to jump in and, and add that, I mean – you know that's that's the first step um, as far as Stardox. You know m- the main concern is that we take care of the existing fans and and the fans that are sort of in the wait and see mentality um, as much as we can take care of the the folks who are just absolutely done with the game and want their refund. I mean you know obviously that they they can have that, but for the existing fans and and the the sort of wait and see fans, the the first step and, and the most important step like Brad said is just to make um, make it better keep keep improving on the product and then I think I think from there I think that's our main focus right now and mm-hmm. we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves as far as okay in you know at this you know at this point in time say you know December January or February now then we're gonna move on and and do X Y and Z we right, right. now the, the, the focus of the company and the focus of the dev team is to uh, continue polishing the game, continue to fix um, uh, the bugs that, that are coming up, and, and to continue to add content and free updates. And to be fair to the team, I mean, version 1.07 is, at this point, is, is fairly um, stable. The, the version that came out last Thursday, I don't think, <laughs> I think if you were to get 100 people who were to run it, you'd probably find fewer than five that had, you know, were running into crashes and stuff. But, but I'm those one of five them. people, are you really, what are you running into? Um, well, I mean, oddly enough, it never crashed before 107. After 107, I started running into <laughs> um, crash bugs. Uh, noticeably, when my troops were hanging out around enemy cities, um, like I click to make an attack, and as it went to bring up the uh, battle summary screen, it would be a crash to desktop. Any chance that uh, have you turned off the? You sound like the tech support. Have you turned off the? Uh, yeah, I have. I have no useful information outline? to give you. Live um, right here, ladies and gentlemen. Live QA. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I like the outline, so I've kept it. Okay, you might just for now. Are you running an ATI card? Yep. Yeah, you might for now just want to try turning off that outline. Yeah. And then um, until we until that's completely yeah, we have several tickets with ATI. To, yeah. are, so we're not the only ones looking into. Oh, it. I'm an ATI user. I, I I will say this about ATI. I'm used to having to being in that percentile with weird shit happening. Oh, I, uh, I'm an ATI guy too, and I and to be you know like I said the it's to be fair, and I don't because 
I don't want anyone to, who listens to this to think, oh, well, see, Starhawk's blaming all their problems on ATI or something. That's irrelevant. If you're making a PC game, because this is one of the things that really bugs me when I read on a forum, someone says, oh, Starhawk's blaming everyone else. But it's like, no. If you want to make a, a PC game in 2010 that's pretty complex graphically and that, these are issues you have to deal with and you need to do them before release. What could Stardock have done differently and what should it do in the future? And the answer for that is that you have to have a public beta to the point where, and I hate to say this, but we're going to have to do it where it does spoil the game for some of those beta testers so that this sort of thing doesn't happen. And, and, in, and in fact, if it's not like where if there are any changes or anything like that where the public beta isn't we're not satisfied with it three months before where we have to commit to a date we'll just push it you know off into the future because we really weren't rushed on elemental that's the worst part about this debacle is that we weren't rushed to put it out i start i could have easily have put it out in february if we thought it was not ready it's not you know people forget that we're not under the same kinds of... Now, there, to bind you, there would still have been some layoffs of the second games team. There's no no way around that. Um, but, you know, if you can choose which... which You know, releasing something that's going to be a disaster versus putting it off and doing it and having it come out and be game of the year, um, I think we all know which is the better choice. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be kind of an awkward question. Uh but hey, you say you like my integrity, so I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, you were really involved in this game, like from you fell in love with it. You said in your one of your uh, up mea culpa posts, you know, you thought one of the problem was you're you were just so involved in it. So people, so you got you fell in love with it. Could that love have infected the other team? There was kind of a well, the boss really likes this. He's really keen on it. Something must be going on because he's smarter than I am. So you start building in uh, this groupthink mentality that you know people aren't noticing stuff that everybody else is noticing that there's some secure some odd dynamics because this isn't a publicly owned company i mean you you are stardock um so could there some groupthink stuff going on maybe there's a way around to fix that well i i think that there's that has to be divided into two parts because right. the first part is the technical side and yeah. um i definitely don't think that part of it would be caused sure. think absolutely the, the design but, issue but on terms of the game design, absolutely, is that one of the things that I've been coming around on interviews, and it's, I mean, we're, we're you and I, and, and I wish Tom was here, but we, we've been here, we've been in the industry a long time, and it's easy to forget that a lot of develop, game development is kind of a kid, young person thing. And one of the things that I have quickly discovered, even, and I didn't, it even, didn't, it's not like it took a long time, I mean, it's, it's Tuesday, is that, Basically, when it came to design, it's like Brad Wardell has all these Game of the Year awards. Therefore, he must he knows what he's doing, and mm-hmm. that kept that seems to be a reoccurring thing. Is that if Brad says it's the way to do it, there was never any question about any game design decision go, going through, and that's my fault. I create clearly create an environment where people didn't feel either didn't feel comfortable because I'm the CEO and. Um, so when we did Gladioxalization, Stardock was like a much smaller company. Now Stardock's, you know, 60-some people. And having the CEO actually parking – I moved out of my office and was in the, right in the bullpen, right? Uh, <laughs> so that, that has changed the dynamics quite a bit. Right. That, was, in hindsight, was probably a pretty bad idea, right? Because it's like, hey, guys, you know, it's just me. And, and it's not just – 
the CEO out there, as you look back, it's like I'm out there with these. I, I'm not. I'm 39, so I'm not. I don't want to make it sound like I'm grandpa here, but yeah, there is this. Yeah, you know, here's all these. These I don't want to say kids, but you know, in their early 20s for the most part. And uh, here's a CEO who's been in this industry for years, and I'm in there doing you know XML and C++ and and you know, working on all kinds of different systems. And I don't think it occurred to anyone to to, to say, well. Oh, you know, maybe this was a maybe this feature or this dynamic or whatever was a bad idea. Should, I mean, should you even have been doing working on the game on that level at this point? Well, that gets into a that actually makes that's almost a, a topic unto itself because, on the one hand, I mean, I I have a people I've seen people say, well, Brad Woodell should resign and all this other stuff, and it's like, well, at the end of the day, I don't want to. There's no, I can't. There's no easy way to put this. I own the company. It is my company and it exists. One of the reasons why I have the company and I work as hard as I do is because I enjoy doing this. Right? If I just wanted to sit back and, and be rich, I just do enterprise software. I wouldn't make games at all. So though for me a big part of it is being able to sit down and write AI stuff or write um, game mechanics stuff because it's fun and I really enjoy it. So I think in the future, the way to do it is there's got to be more another layer between, and it was, but he, uh, I mean, I have a producer that was underneath me, but I need to stay in my office is basically the, you know, the, the, the bullet point here and not be actually physically out there, but rather work with um, the team. I mean, sometimes it works. So sometimes it works out, and sometimes it's, in this case, was disastrous. Well, uh, I think we'll end that there because the sound's starting to fall apart, alas, again. Uh, Brad, I hope the next time we have you on, you don't have to explain why a game went wrong because uh, they're always a good conversation. If we had you on for Demigod, if we had you on for Elemental, hopefully the next one we can talk about something awesome that Stardock did, uh, an expansion pack or something. Yeah, there, I, uh, you know, one of the things is there will be lots of other opportunities in the future. Elemental's not going away. The, you know, we're pretty confident about the core design and we're going to stick to it and we think that it'll be an interesting thought experiment to see how much word of mouth over time uh, helps the game um, you know both a number of my friends in the media pointed out that a lot of elemental is certainly not unique in the games that had a rough launch and no, but you, you, only, came back. you only get one chance to get that 4 out of 10 from GameSpot What's that? well that's in the lowest review that uh, GameSpot's ever given us yeah. it, it is no, it it's, is. it's not the lowest review. No? Oh. No. No, Lightweight Ninja. That was uh, made years and years ago. I think. They oh, I don't even review. remember that. Oh, yeah. well, they... It was made by some... Uh, we had an different team then. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Brad, and thanks, Daphne, for being here. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Troy. And next week, uh, we don't have our topic quite chosen. We might be doing Ruse, or we might be doing the Ruse the week after that. The new game from Ubisoft about... Uh, Deception in World War II, and I know that everybody who listens to this podcast loves Deception and World War II. Uh, so, say goodnight, everyone. Good night.